All right, everybody, we have the coach of Boca Boxing District and the striking coach of American Top Team on the line coming off of a huge victory for his fighter, Dustin Poirier at UFC 257, uh, Daya Davis. So how are you doing, Daya? I'm doing well, Brock. How about yourself, man? Good to finally catch up with you. Yeah, yeah, good to catch up. It's been a while, but I'm doing good. So. All right, so we'll start it off, obviously, with um, Dustin's huge win this last weekend over Conor McGregor in the rematch. It was about six years in the making, but uh, he definitely made up for lost time with that finish. So uh, what did you think of the fight? Man, I thought he followed the game plan as accordingly, and uh, he executed properly, man. I couldn't ask for a better performance from him. You know, I think the first round was, uh, was a feeling out round. Um, you know, we, we knew what we had to be leery of and we still got, we still got hit with some of those shots, but, um, you know, at 155, I think Dustin has proven to be very, very durable. And, um, you know, the, it, the fight for him only gets, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets better for him as the, as the fight goes on. So it works out in his favor and not so much in his opponent's favor. Yeah. I think, I think that was what I thought going into the fight, the early rounds were going to be the most dangerous rounds for him. At least that's what I thought. I figured if it went into the third, the fourth, the fifth, that's when Dustin can pick it up. That's when he can get that volume, can kind of take people over and, you know, make them drown under the pressure. But uh, Dustin came out and the first round, like you said, it was a little tough. He got hit with some good shots. Um, the lead uppercut was pretty good. I think that was the one that stunned him. I'm not sure, but. Um, Actually, it was a left cross. They both, they both threw left cross. Um, Connors was a little after DPs, and uh, what happened was he threw a left cross, he missed Connor, Connor moved over to his um left leg, and he countered with a left cross of his own, mm-hmm. and it kind of threw Dustin off balance. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say it, it, it probably flashed him, it didn't hurt him so much as to where Connor had an opportunity to put him away. I think it flashed him and it also threw him off balance, mm-hmm. but um, you know, he regained, um, stability pretty quickly and he went right back to work yeah exactly even even when he got hurt you know he didn't he didn't back up he still stayed in there and and got to work so that was good to see from him and I'm sure for Dustin I mean this was probably I mean I would say the the Max Holloway fight was probably one of his best victories for him but I would say that this is probably his most satisfying win especially to finish a guy who finished you like I think go ahead Uh, no no I was saying no doubt Oh, okay. Yeah, and to be the first guy to finish McGregor. I mean, he's been finished by submission, but that was the first guy to actually put him away. So I think that's big for him too. Right. I mean, I think that was icing on the cake. You know, I think the magnitude of the fight being that, um, you know, Connor is who he is, his stature, um, his position with the UFC, and you know how he kind of how he how he kind of runs the sh- his own show. You know, it's been it's been great. I mean, a, a fight like that and a win like that and putting putting away a guy like that in that fashion was unbelievable, man. And I, I'd actually say he put him away in better fashion did better fashion than Connor put him away because Connor's Connor's knockout was a kind of a questionable knockout, right? It was kind of almost behind the head. It was behind the ear. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows those shots are the ones that affect the equilibrium the most. And, uh, you know, he did a good job of finishing Dustin in the first fight, but, you know, it is what it is, you know, with the fight with Connor in the first fight, Connor was still pretty much a relatively unknown. You know, we didn't know a whole lot about the guy. He had two fights in the UFC, 
One was one was against um, one of our guys, uh, former one of our guys, Marcus Brimage, mm-hmm. and uh, he no doubt put him away in great fashion. And then the second fight with Matt, the first fight with uh, his second fight in UFC, um, his fight with Max Holloway. Yeah. And what was funny about it is I actually remember reaching out to Dustin um, while watching that fight. You know, I was kind of doing my own scouting report, and I was watching Connor and Max, and I said, "Man, this guy's pretty good." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, DP and his emotional state back then was like, "Ah, this guy, he, he ain't shit." <laughs> like, bro, I think I know a little little thing or two about boxing. I'm like, this this guy's pretty decent, bro. Yeah, he's like, I'll take him out of there. And I'm like, all right, but you know, I think um, at that point he was on my radar a little bit. I, I just had no idea that you know that was going to be the next matchup for us. So again, you know, without a whole lot to go on. You know, it was only two fights in the UFC. I wouldn't say we maybe stepped into there a little um, underestimating Connor's ability. Um, you know, they did a very good job of hyping him up. And he followed it up. He followed up all the hype. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just think we, were, we may have been a little ill-prepared for the first matchup. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you hit it on the head with that one. And, and I think that Dustin's is more important because like you said, at the point in his career, when he beat Dustin, they were, Dustin was more well-known. Connor wasn't really like he was on the up and coming. He was the, he was the up and comer, but now like Connor's so established a two weight world champion. Dustin's got, had the interim championship, you know, fought Khabib just like Connor did. And to put him away like that and be the first guy to knock him out. Like we said that that's probably, that's definitely more. It means more. It has more weight than Connor's win over him. 100%. Yeah, and I think I think they're probably gonna. I mean, I hope for Dustin's sake they do a third fight, but I have a feeling. I think that's what Dustin would want. Obviously, I'm not him, so I can't speak for him. But I would think he would want that or a shot at the tit- at the title. There's really nothing else to give him right now. Yeah, I mean, definitely, if you're talking, um, you know, what makes more sense at a lucrative standpoint, then for sure the Connor fight makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I. You know, in my opinion, I think just Dustin wants gold, man. He wants an opportunity at, at gold. Mm-hmm. Khabib is obviously um, retired. I just I don't know why Dana wants to hold on to the idea of the possibility of him coming back. But I think they were overlooking Dustin, obviously. Um, talking about a rematch with with Connor, and uh, we we might have spoiled his plans a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of odd that it really wasn't a congratulations. From um from Dana after the fight, you know, mm-hmm. typically a fighter that magnitude, a fighter would get a call. And I, I've been with DP in the dressing room for some of his fights, and on a winning end, and Dana call, man, that was a great fight, you know, fight fighter tonight performance, without a doubt, you know, stay tuned, you you'll be sure to get a bonus, and so on and so forth. But um, you know, when you knock out the cash cow, you know, maybe he was in his feelings a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right on that. I think that Dana's plan was. Connor versus Khabib, have Connor come out and make a statement in that fight and then try to lure Khabib back in. I still don't even think that if if Connor would have won, I still don't think that Khabib would have came back. I think he's done. I mean, there's a I, lot. Go ahead. I think so too. I mean, why come back? You know, you you essentially accomplished everything that needed to be done in the sport. Um, you've done it in a dominating fashion. Um, why come back? You know, what else is it to prove to, for, for one more victory on your record? Mm-hmm. I mean, and at the end of the day, what does that say? You're, you're, I think your legacy is already cemented, you know, and everyone's saying, oh, I'd like to see him against Tony. Why? Tony's come off two 
badly, you know, bad two bad KO losses. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see against Tony for what. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think uh, the only fight I could see Khabib coming back for would be a fight against GSP. There's still something in the back of my head that thinks they're gonna that thinks they're gonna make that fight, even if it's in 2022. I still feel like somewhere down the line they're gonna try to make that again. Honestly, I don't even want to see that fight. Man. I don't want to see G. I don't want to like Dana said before. I don't want to see no old men. I'm not in the old men fight. I'm not in the old men business. Okay, GSP is so far removed from the game, like. I don't know. For, for some other people, I guess the interest is there. For me, it's just not. I, I don't want to see a guy come back and potentially tarnish a legacy that's already cemented. You know, like you've done what you needed to do in the sport as well. And what else? What else do you have to prove? By coming back and beating Khabib means what? Uh, yeah, uh, back to being the greatest of all time. Which you know, essentially, you left the sport as that. Like, why come back and you know potentially ruin what was already cemented? You know, like BJ Penn, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, like he done, he's done amazing things in the sport and just kept fighting, kept fighting and then getting beat by guys who couldn't even hold his jock strap. Like, what's the point? Yeah. I, th- and it's just, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think a lot of people who, I mean, it's the same thing with Anderson Silva. Like you, you win and then you lose. And after that first loss to Weidman, I mean, he's never been the same. Yeah. He won a couple of fights. I mean, he beat. Um, Derek Brunson in like a controversial win. And then he had that good fight against Nick Diaz, but then, you know, he tested positive for PEDs. So he just keeps coming back because he's, he still thinks he's like the best. And for a long time, he was the greatest of all time. I still think the greatest of all time currently is it's tied with Khabib and GSP. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, and then Anderson maybe, but I don't count Anderson just because of all the PEDs. Right. Well, uh, we'll get back on to um, the fight with Connor and Dustin. And the one thing I noticed in it was against Cowboy too. Is Connor seemed to kind of fall in love with a boxing style stance. Like he was real heavy on the lead leg. He he didn't move around as much as he would have in some of his other fights. And it was kind of the same against Khabib too. I know he said you know his foot was a balloon, but <laughs> it, it's kind of the same thing. He doesn't have. He didn't have that that in and out style of movement, you know, in and out and a lot of angles and stuff like that. And is that something where in the lead up with all the film study, why you guys implemented the calf kick so much because Connor came in with a boxing heavy stance and, and heavy on his lead leg in his last fight. You know what? Um, in the second fight with uh, Connor and Nate, we noticed that Nate used it. He just didn't use it often enough. Mm-hmm. And it could have played a huge detriment had he, Followed up with it. Actually, Connor was the one using it um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He wasn't to the uh, to the calf so much, more more so the thigh. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that shot hurts, and we've seen what it's done to guys in the past. I mean, when DP fought Jim Miller, for example, I mean he actually he sat DP down with that same that same kick mm-hmm. in the last part of the round. You know, which kind of made for an exciting, entertaining, entertaining fight because. Those guys were going back and forth at it when once DP went down. But we know we know the type of damage that um, that it can do. Yeah, and it, you know Connor with his, uh, I'd say pretty good boxing IQ. We know we didn't want to go in there and make it a boxing match. Mm-hmm. You know the idea is to chop a chop a guy down like a tree. 
Mm-hmm. And in order, you got to start from the bottom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's an MMA fight. And that's that's how we saw it. We're going to utilize all our tools. And that, that, if that means starting with a calf kick and, um, and doing some wrestling to some boxing to some Muay Thai, we're going to put it all together. Yeah, 100%. And I think, uh, I honestly, I didn't expect Dustin to shoot a takedown. And I really don't think, I know some people have said like, Connor probably expected a takedown. I don't think he expected to get taken down at all. And I think that's kind of threw Connor off in the beginning because I think he thought he was going to come in and it was going to be a stand-up battle, maybe a little bit of clinch work, deep Poirier trying to get him up against the cage to like use his volume striking and his clinch striking with his, with his boxing. But I don't think Connor expected to get taken down by Poirier. And I think that kind of threw him off. And then with the calf kicks, you know, you're kind of stuck in a stationary position. You can't move as effectively in and out. So I really think that takedown set up a lot more than people think. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know, but that's what I thought. I mean, 100%, you know, going into the second fight between DP and Connor, um, and we've seen the guy get exhausted in fights before. So again, uh, the plan was to exhaust Connor to the best of our ability. So if that meant wrestling to allow a little bit more blood flow into his arms and make him a little bit more tired and, and uh, not so fluent with his boxing ability, then that's what we were going to do. And that's, I think that's ultimately what we achieved. We achieved a lot of that in the first round. You know, DP's back was up against the cage, and Connor um, tried to use those shoulder strikes that he used against Cowboy. Mm-hmm. DP, you know, he gave it right back to him, which um, he's like, oh, you, you can do it? Well, so can I. Yeah. And, you know, we, we put him in some uh, some wrestling, some good wrestling positions to exhaust him a little bit, and then eventually took him out. You know, I mean, once the first bell rang, and I watched Connor go back to the corner, and I'm watching his breathing. I'm like, okay, we're doing a great job at at um, you know, attacking that central nervous system and make him a little bit tired. Yeah, I think I think that's that was perfectly like perfectly explained. He, uh, you got to you got to make Connor tired because in the beginning, you know, he's a machine. And there's not a lot of people who can win a first round against Connor. I don't know. I mean, Khabib did. Dustin did very well with the calf kicks and stuff, but he took over, I would say, more so in the second round. I think that's when the kicks and the clinch work and the boxing up against the cage kind of took over. But uh, I, I think the takedown was very important because, like you said, Connor, if you can drag him into the deep water and make him tired, he doesn't really come back from it. And I know a lot of people will say, like, in the second Diaz fight, that he looked really good and he came back and his gas tank was good. And yeah, you know, he did, but he also lost some of those rounds because of his gas tank and because of the pressure. So. And it was in spots, you know what I mean? Like in the third and fourth round, you know, Connor would land a good, a good combination and then find himself on the back foot and, you know, looking for air circling around the cage, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to take a break essentially. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, another thing about the Poirier's performance and something I've noticed from Dustin, um, one of his best weapons is his check hook. He used it a lot against Max Holloway over his jab when he was in Orthodox, and uh, he used it against Connor when he threw that lead uppercut. That was one thing I noticed, and I think that's what led um to the finish. Aside from the calf kicks, was catching Connor as he kind of lunged in with that up jab or the lead uppercut it was I think it was an elite uppercut that's what it looked like to me and he got countered with that check right hook um what Uh, what, the combination and finished with an uppercut um 
which is very dangerous. You know what I mean? If you're not if you're not in a position to land that shot on a guy, I mean, we've seen it firsthand with DP with Michael Johnson. You know, like he he threw uh, I think it was a one two lead right uppercut mm-hmm. and wasn't and wasn't close enough to Johnson and all Johnson did was just pull back just slightly into a right hook, which essentially hurt DP and allowed him to put him away. So, um, we know, you know, like this is a risky game. You, you put something out there and you're not close enough to land that shot on the guy. You're putting yourself in position to get hurt. And that, like you said, that's what essentially hurt Connor initially. And then once DP recognized that, mm-hmm. DP, in my opinion, is, it's like the Sugar Ray Leonard of the UFC. Because if he gets a guy hurt, he's going to put you away. Mm-hmm. And that's Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray, if, if you show one inclination that you are hurt, get ready. Because here it comes. Yeah, 100%. And, and like you said, Dustin, when he smells blood in the water, he doesn't taper off. You know, he puts the pressure on. And he keeps coming forward until he puts you away. He did it against Alvarez. He did it against Holloway. He did it against Connor. He does it in a lot of his fights. He did it against Pettis. That's just who Dustin Poirier is. He's a finisher, man. Yeah, 100%. And, and going off that check hook, um, what kind of training methods or drills do you like to use when working on a, a check hook for Dustin? Because he does use it a lot. Is it a lot of pad work? Is it is it bag work? What is, what's the best way to refine a, a, a lead hook or a check hook, however you want to you know, it, describe it? I mean, a lot of it is creating scenarios that can actually happen in a fight. So, you know, um, we'll work off – off blocks, we'll work off stepping back, making a guy miss, and checking him with a hook. We'll work on um, head work or, or head movement, rather making a guy miss, and then countering. I think uh, DP even threw it one time in, in the fight where he blocked two of Connor's shots and returned a right hook. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think. And it, it point, pointed at him. You know what I mean? Like I got you, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's all about creating situational exercises and and drills that can potentially happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to be creative, honestly. Yeah, I think think Dustin's got some of the best boxing in the UFC. I think it's him. I think it's Connor. I think think Holloway's up there. And I think uh, Peter Yan. Those are are my top boxers in the UFC. I think that's the – that's the list. And I think Holloway really showed how good of a boxer he was in this fight against Kelvin Cater. Cause I mean, he, he put it on him and, and I'm, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to be honest. I, I go ahead. He looked great. I said it sure did. Yeah. And uh, I think that I, I was, I'm going to be honest. I picked Kelvin to beat Max because I thought, I thought Kelvin's hands were going to be too clean. I thought Max kept his hands a little too low. And I thought that the three, two, from Kelvin was going to be able to catch him. And he did hit him with the jab and the, and the hook and the, you know, the three, two, a few times, but man, I mean, when, when Holloway looked away and then just hit him with the, I think it was like a shifting right hand or, or a left hand. I don't remember exactly. And then he looked away and he was still slipping out of the way of the punches. I mean, that was, that was pretty insane. I didn't expect to see that. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, his, uh, his cage awareness and, and knowing where he needs to be and, his positioning is just great, and it just goes to show you can never doubt Max. It's like when I think Max is starting to show some signs of wear and tear, here he comes and puts on a performance of a lifetime, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think you had told me on our last interview that Max was one of the guys that you would really want to work with, with his boxing and uh, and pad work. I'm pretty sure you had mentioned him to me before. 
What do you think it is that makes Max such a good boxer? Is it range management? Is it is it combinations? What do, what do you think it is that makes Max one of the best boxers in the UFC? Um, yeah, man, the fact that he plays so many video games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, I, I would say Max is a guy who, who studies. Um, you know, he obviously watched a lot of boxing. I think that's very important, too, because that's, that's something that Dustin does, too, to help. Um, you know, mold and, and shape what it is that he wants to do. You have to watch. You have to be a student of the game. If you're looking to evolve and, and grow, and you have to be a student of the game. So that doesn't mean just doing your work in the gym and, and going home and calling it a day. That means doing your work in the gym, going home, doing some film study, watching some guys who um, you like to model yourself after. And that's, that's kind of like what I did. You know, I started late in the game. I started at the age of 23. I never boxed. Uh, day in my life, and you know, I just picked up one day and called my dad. I said, "Dad, I want to box." Mm-hmm. So I knew in order to get ahead that not only did I have to put countless hours of of time in the gym, that I was gonna have to do some homework at home too. And I think a, a lot of these guys, um, they watch boxing, man. You know, I, I think if you want to be great, you have to do great things. You have to practice excellence, and practicing excellence means whatever it's going to take to, to get the job done. And that, that includes film study. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that film study is one of the most important things to do. I mean, obviously you have to train, you have to get in the gym and put your work in, but you know, even if you're getting ready for a fight, you got to watch your opponent. I know some guys don't like to, cause they think it gets in their head a little too much, but I, I mean, I think it's important if you can watch a guy and you can pick up on the patterns of what they do and the combinations they like to use and how they come into range before the fight. And, you know, on your own, then when you train it, it's going to be, you know, a little bit easier to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I know me personally, when I was fighting, I didn't watch, like to watch a whole lot of film. I, I definitely watch, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't study so much because at the end of the day, I think I knew what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the same with, uh, with DP, I, I, although he's watched, um, you know, which is inevitable if you're a fight fan. It, you're going to watch um, fights of either your past opponent or, or potential opponent. You know, lightweight division is so stacked. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's inevitable. You're going to you're going to have to see somebody you could potentially fighting someday. But I don't think he's. We, we didn't. Not we're not not as in him. But we did our film study, mm-hmm. and that that was essential to go back with. So we knew what we needed to work on in the gym in order for him to capitalize on it come fight night. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I'll go off of uh, something you mentioned. You said you had started boxing, you know, pretty late for, you know, somebody who's going to try to be a professional fighter at, at the age of 23. And uh, you know, even though it is, it can be considered late. Do you wish that you would have started earlier or do you feel that it was beneficial to you to start that late? when you were doing your training? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. I say, uh, I say yes because, you know, when I did start late, I was basically on a fast track, you know, like it, it was an Olympic year when I started. Um, I ultimately wanted to achieve some of the same things that my dad achieved, which is, which was winning a gold medal um, and then going on to, to try to attempt to win a, a professional title, world, world title. Um, but, you know, I started at 23, so I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have that. I didn't have a whole lot of time to play with, you know. But like I said, being that it was an Olympic year, I would have had to wait four more years going through the amateur ranks and then hoping to get to the Olympics. So 
Um, for that reason, I wish I would have started younger, but for the reason um, of, you know, not taking any unnecessary punches and, um, you know, not getting hurt at a young age or, like I said, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sport to where it's, you get hit in the head and hit in the body. So, you know, you know, there talks of CTE and brain trauma. So for that reason, like I'm kind of glad that I saw it at the age that I did. Because mm-hmm. I get 13, I get 13 years of my body to the sport. Yeah. You know, I retired 2016. And uh, one of my, one of my, one of the things that my dad, or one of the things that was very important to him was, you know, you're going to retire with the same faculties that you entered into the game with. You know, you're not going to be leaving with, uh, you know, no stuttering speech. People can't understand you so on and so forth so you know we've seen it unfortunately in the game and uh we just we never wanted that so we always wanted to practice and work on our defense as we do our offense yeah yeah 100 percent. i think i think it's really important because you know you see a lot of guys who like to get into wars you know take two to give one and you know eventually those two add up to four, those four add up to eight the eight adds up and it just keeps adding up until you know like you said you might be 35 36 and you're stuttering and you can't remember where you put your keys at and and you know right. stuff like that so i think def- in your, in your kids names and so on and so forth yeah defense is the best offense i think in a lot of things especially mma no doubt about it uh what do, what do you think is the biggest difference you notice between top boxers or mma fighters of today and comparing them to like the greats of the past, what do you think the biggest difference is? You think it's training? Do you think it's the film that's available? Do you think it's knowledge? What do you think is the biggest difference between the greats of you know before and who are the greats now in MMA and boxing? Um, well, definitely, I, I would say the difference is. Uh, well, I, you know, I can only relate to boxing, mm-hmm. but if I said the difference of the fighters of today and uh yesterday's time would be ring time i think i think guys got a lot more ring time you know in the 50s and 60s you know guys were active man some, some guys were fighting twice a month and guys were active you know unfortunately um, a lot of fighters a lot of fighters paid for it um you know whether it be all time or you know some symptoms of, of being punch on um but at the same time, I still think it's very important. So it's it's weird, man. You got to find out that that fine line is not only are you mixing up your fight game, but you're also mixing up um, fights. You know, so you're you've got smaller gloves on, less protection in the fights, and um, preparing for the fight. You know, guys were doing a lot of sparring. Guys were doing you know sparring like three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then got the training in between. Um. Today, it's it's. I guess it's being proven that you can still be just as effective without, you know, having all that wear and tear on you and you know trauma to the head and all that, all the sparring that's most people say is required to get ready for a fight. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and I think that's something you notice a little bit. You know, now I mean, you look at Max. We'll bring him up again. He said he didn't spar for this last fight and he didn't spar for the fight against Volkanovsky. It was all apparently all on zoom. I don't know if I believe that, but <laughs> I, I don't know if I believe that either, man. I mean, that's, that's pretty hard to believe, man. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That's right. I mean, in order to be sharp and have, you know, all your wits about you, man, you need, you need that sparring, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just being able to gauge where you need to be to throw punches and to, to not have any sparring leading up to the fight and still get it done and in a remarkable fashion. I mean, that's mind blowing to me. He's actually had no sparring for that yeah. fight. Yeah. I did. The fight, my fourth fight, and I had no sparring, and I couldn't find the guy. I couldn't find him worth worth the damn. I had to lay up on the ropes and counter the guy the entire time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I won a decision, but man, I you know because I didn't have that range and distance, um, and you know it, it's a security and, and confidence thing. If you know you're able to do these things in training, um, that carry carries over to the fight. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't care. I don't care what level you are. I think you. I think it's still very important to get to get sparring. But if he's getting it done with no sparring, God bless him, man. That's incredible. Yeah, I I think you hit it on the head. Some guys, some guys need to spar, and I think every like you said, I think everyone needs to spar, even if it's light sparring. You know, just to just to get the the distance and the the counters and the and the reaction time. But to have no reaction time or no sparring and still put on a performance like he did. Yeah, I don't know. He might be he might be lying to us a little bit. <laughs> oh man, it's gonna cause me to believe, bro. <laughs> All right. All right, we're back with Dia Davis. And the next question I got for you is you know, one of the best boxers that I like to watch and look for look at, and even with his training, is Andre Ward. I think he was one of the most technical, technically efficient boxers. I think he was one of the smartest boxers to ever compete. I mean, he retired undefeated. There's not, there's some guys who were able to do it, but not too many. Um, what were your thoughts on Andre Ward, whether it be his training methods, his technique, his ability in the ring? What were your thoughts on a guy like uh, Andre Ward? Man, I thought Andre Ward was a great fight. I was literally one fight away from fighting Andre Ward. I fought a guy named Hatsaki Albika, and had I had, I had beaten Bika, I would have went on to fight Ward, Ward for the world title. So... Um, he was definitely on my radar. I knew what he had, um, what his abilities allowed him to do. I knew that he was a great fighter and that it was going to be um, a huge obstacle if I would fight, um, you know, to ultimately beat him. It's funny, I met I met Andre Ward during the Super 6 tournament. I had just beat a guy <clears throat> who, was, who was ranked number three in the world. His name is Marcus Johnson. I beat him. And um, my, my promoter at the time, Lou DeBella, invited me to um, watch the Super 6, which was in New Jersey. And Andre Ward was there. So uh, Lou DeBella said, hey, man, I want you to I want to introduce you to uh, Andre Ward. But as I get close to him, I got my hand out. I said, I said, champ, how are you? My name is. And I didn't even get to finish. Andre Ward says, Dia Davis. <laughs> that I, I'm watching everybody in my weight class. It's like, I seen the last fight. Great performance. I was like, oh, shit. Andre Ward. <laughs> Andre Ward's got his eye on him. Yeah. Um, which was great. But, again, I mean, you know, no one, you know, he's very, very technically sound, definitely a student of, of the game, and uh, just a master of his craft, man. You know, another guy who probably did countless film study. Um, and, and a guy who kind of says, and you know, these are things that I preach to some of my students or even fighters. That um, you know, you practice excellence. You you practice good things, leave the bad, and you'll only achieve great things. 
Yeah, do you do you wish at uh, that you would have gotten that experience to fight Andre Ward? I mean, I'm sure it's a yes, but what what do you, would you have would you want have wanted to fight him and just see where you were at? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think it would have been a uh, a remarkable challenge, man. I think I I already kind of had mapped out how I would have fought him. You know, like um, you know, great footwork and, and good athletic ability uh, ability. Um, you know, I think I would have boxed a smart fight, stayed behind my jab. Once I established that, looked to land my power shots. But uh, yeah, I mean, I had that fat, that fight mapped out of my head several times. Don't you even worry about that. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, one guy who has—I don't know if you've gotten to work with him yet, but he seems to have joined American Top Team before his next fight with Eljamain Sterling, and we talked about him a little bit on the last podcast we had. And that was uh, Peter Yan. So he right. he has joined American Top Team. He's getting ready for Eljamain Sterling. Have you gotten the chance to work with him yet? And if not, or and if you have, like, what do you think of his boxing ability and his defense and his combinations? I think Peter Yan is is remarkable, man. He's got great boxing ability. He's got great defense. Got good cage awareness. Um, no, I have not had the opportunity to work with him, but uh, he was watching my work with DP. Um, I had the opportunity to meet him. I think this was the last Saturday before we traveled for Abu Dhabi. Okay. And I was talking to Mike Brown. I'm like, Mike Brown, that's Peter Young. What's he doing here? He's like, Yeah, man, he's with he's with us now. And I'm like, What? <laughs> I was uh, you know, not only was I stoked for for American Top Team, but I'm like, that'd be cool, man. I'm actually looking to uh, you know, get some work in with him if he if if that's what he wants, if that's the route that's the route that he'd like to go. Um, it's been a rough week for me, man. So I haven't been at top team just yet. Okay. I'm just getting acclimated to Eastern Standard Time, man, at Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Oof, man. Yeah. It's I'm... Rough, rough getting back and get, and get back onto uh schedule with everything. So, um, uh, yeah, we got it Monday, Monday night, like around 11 o'clock and I'm still, I'm still feeling it, man. That nine-hour time difference is something else. Yeah, hundred percent. So when you had the fight with McGregor for Dustin, was that what time was that? That was early in the morning, right? Yeah, he was probably in the cage about eight fifty a.m. Abu Dhabi time, <sighs> um, which is what 11, 11 50, 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So yeah, it was early, man. So we got up at four thirty. Um, DP had a nice breakfast and, uh, uh you know, do this, this is like pre-fight ritual stuff to shake out a little bit and making sure all the tools are working before, before fight, fight, fight day, not fight night, fight day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and that's it, man. You know, just kind of, you know, mapping out and playing the fight visually in your own head and, uh, just staying ready and aware, ready to go. But yeah, it was definitely different, man. Getting getting up at four thirty a.m. to get ready for a fight in the morning. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was rough getting up and getting ready. But after a few days, I'm sure you're acclimated. But then when you get back, you're like, "What is going on?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, even there it was rough for me because you know, um, nighttime, nighttime there was daytime for me. So you know, man, I, I found myself tossing and turning up until four or five a.m. there. And not actually getting to sleep until 8 a.m. And, uh, you know, you don't want to miss too much throughout the day. So 
Yeah. It was Ross. I, I never, I never used the Xanax, but I did on that trip. <laughs> um. So we'll get back to Jan a little bit. Do you? Th- are you going to be cornering him then for the fight with Eljamain? Um. I'm not sure. Like I said, we've only we've only been introduced. Um. Uh, just at one time, and on the way back from Abu Dhabi, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Peter Jan's boxing coach. Oh, okay. And, you know, we took a selfie together, and he tagged me in the photo, and uh, he says, yeah, man, you know, I'm Peter, Peter Jan's boxing coach. I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, I know that he's now with us. Um, and I also I said, look, if you ever, not to step on anyone's toes, I said, if you ever need any help, you know, I'm, I'm here. So... He's got a guy. I mean, he's got a guy. I don't, I, I don't. I don't recall his name at this point, but um, I know he's definitely got a guy. And uh, you know, I just offer my services if he ever need help or if he needs an extra set of eyes um, to help him with the fight. Then I'm here for him. Yeah, I think I think it'd be awesome to get you and Jan to work together because, like we said, he's got some of the best hands in defense in the sport and with you being such an accomplished boxer and everything like that and an accomplished trainer i think it would just be a match made in heaven almost i guess <laughs> right right no i'm I'm here man if they ever like i said if they ever need my help i'm all there all right and uh one one final question uh you know you see a lot of techniques being implemented that haven't been you know, as effective as they are now, like we talked about earlier with the calf kick. Um, what is another technique you could see, whether it's in the stand-up, whether it's clinch work, whether it's boxing, you know, at range or in close or mid-range? What is something you could see that will be used more in the future that maybe isn't used as much as it should be right now? Honestly, man, I think I think these MMA guys, man, need to get with some boxing trainers. And I think that should be used a little bit more. I think, you know, a lot of the guys may have some MMA experience, but, you know, the fight starts on the feet. And I think guys need to identify their, their, dis, their distances and where they need to be throwing punches. Like, you know, the fight typically starts from an outside range. Once a guy's able to gauge where he needs to be, effectively the last shots then the then the fight can um start to turn a little bit more mid-range guys are getting a little bit closer guys are in position to hit each other um and once they realize where they need to be they can look to block and pick those shots off and look to counter as in um like what dp did with connor you know like he was finished finished with a hook he was in position to counter yeah that's more more mid-range and inside is obviously working in close you know able to attack the body um, and work the head as well. I think that needs to be implemented more, man. I think a lot of these guys are working with MMA guys. A lot of MMA fighters are working with MMA trainers and missing out on the, the fine aspects of boxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. I think, and it wouldn't do anything to hurt them. And that's like, that's the thing. I think, I think some people may think I'm not going to work with just specifically boxing trainers alongside with my MMA coaches because they feel like maybe it's going to take away from their other tools. But I mean, you see with Dustin, it makes him such a well-rounded fighter. Um, he's got, he's comfortable in every range of the fight, whether it's, you know, like we said, close range, mid range, or, uh, you know, far range. You know what? It's a two sided coin because I think, you know, the boxing coach has to be familiar with 
what happens in MMA too. I mean, you know, me by no means am I an MMA trainer, but I know some of the things that can happen in a fight. So, for instance, if I'm if I'm holding a pads for DP, you know, I'm dude, I'm in there throwing kicks sometimes. I, mean, <laughs> I got I got some footage um, in the dressing room. And it's what we use in entire preparation for Gaethje. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that he would use that leg kick. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, I'm throwing leg kicks at DP so we can work on counter with the left hand. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what stopped him, man. That's what hurt That's what hurt Gaethje to, to put him on the back foot to where DP would unload and finish him. So it works both ways, man. So not only do, not only do I think MMA fighters need to work with, um, you know, some boxing coaches, but I also think the boxing coaches need to have an understanding of what can happen in an MMA fight. You know, like I said, I've been around the sport. I've been around the sport of MMA since 2000, 2003. Um, so, again, there are times where I'm holding the pads and then I'll, I'll act as if I'm shooting to get the guy, get my guy to sprawl. Mm-hmm. So you have to have an understanding, man. You got to just works both ways, two-sided coin. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think that was interesting that you brought up, you know, throwing the inside low kick or the outside kick to have Dustin counter with the left hand because you're right, that's that's what hurt Gaethje. Obviously, he finished him when he was able to, uh, I think he landed a combination and then he stepped through into orthodox and landed the right hand, I think. Right, so Gaethje, Gaethje threw a, uh, an inside leg kick with his right, you know, from his back leg. Yeah. And... Uh, DP caught the shot in the counter with the left cross. And that's that's the same thing that I was throwing in, in the dress room and in training camp. Um, he, and, he, you know, what? he actually tried to land a few times in the fight, but ultimately in the fourth round, he just found the, uh, he found the, he found the target and was able to get it done. Yeah, I, I think I think that was really interesting. Um, but, well, dude, same thing in this fight, man. I'm throwing spinning kicks. And, <laughs> you know, we, knew, we knew Connor, you know, he likes to set up. He likes to put guys in position, um, and, and a lot of it comes off his kicks. You know, he's throwing roundhouses, mm-hmm. and, um, deep kicks, and you know, yeah, he's a marvel. You know, he's a marvel with, with some of those kicks. So yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to show him to the best of my ability. I, uh, my kicks look like shit, but <laughs> if I can get my man to keep his hands up off one of my kicks, then I know he's going to do the same thing in the fight. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and yeah, I think, I think you're right on that. I just did a, uh, like a breakdown on McGregor's style right before his fight with Dustin. And like the first thing I talked about was Connor doesn't land a lot of like his spinning kicks or his jumping, you know, spinning back kicks, but he uses that to back the guy up and get him against the cage so he can land that left hand on an angle. And I think, uh, I think that's something. I mean, whether, whether he lands them or not, I mean, if they do land, they, they do look like they're dangerous. I wouldn't want to get hit with them. Oh yeah, for sure. His, uh, his spinning like capoeira kick where he puts his hand on the mat and spins. I mean, he doesn't land it, but I'm pretty sure if that landed on anybody, that's going to hurt him. For sure. No doubt about it. All right. Well, I think we talked about just about every question that I had for you. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate it again for letting you, uh, letting me get you on here. Cause it's always good to talk to you and talk some technical boxing and MMA training. So, uh, Thank you again. You're very welcome, man. It's my my, my honor and, and pleasure to be on once again, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely get you on again, maybe for Dustin's next fight or down the line. But uh, do you have any questions for me? Um, no, man. I, like I said, it was good good catching up with you again, and uh, 
look forward look forward to doing it again in the future. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Daya. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug or promote or no? I mean, sure. You know, you guys can always find me at the at my gym, the Boca Boxing District. We're located in Boca Raton, East Boca, uh, Palm Beach County. You find me here. We do it all. We do, you know, situational scenarios and, you know, offer private training. You can find me at American Top Team working with some of the elite MMA fighters in the world. Uh, getting Amanda Nunez ready for her next fight um, with Megan Anderson. And that's it, man. The show goes on. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay. Thank you, Daya. And I will talk to you later. And we'll get you on again for sure. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you.